to C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. So I am speaking this morning on suffering. And uh, so if you feel so inclined to begin to pray, I would appreciate that. So let me just clear up the elephant in the room and why answer perhaps why on earth I would choose to share on suffering. A, it's not a topic that you regularly would pick. Certainly, let me be honest, not a topic that you pick to put on your church calendar in the middle of winter. We actually do think through these things quite strategically as a team and, and know when is a good time to preach on particular topics given the, the literal season and given the spiritual season. But some of you may recall a good few weeks ago, we actually put out a request on our social media channels and through the latest with the topic of you asked for it. And what we actually asked for is for you guys to give us suggestions about what you would like us to preach about. And so we had all man- manner of interesting topics come back. And so thank you for so thank you so much for those of you that took the time to do that. But what was interesting is that suffering was actually a major theme. This actually came back as a topic that a number of you wanted us to share on. And so it's important that we do due process and actually honour the process. And so I am speaking on suffering because you asked for it. (laughs) Truth be told, actually, as we were looking through the suggestions and the topics and deciding which ones to do, I actually had a strong conviction to speak on suffering. And so while it might appear to be quite an unusual choice in the natural, I actually know that there is grace in this space today. So there is plenty for you to follow along with on the app, on the church app, if you haven't opened it up for a little while or perhaps aren't familiar with it, jump on there, open up the suffering space topic and you'll see that there's a whole heap of places that you can write notes, follow along with and have access to some of the scriptures, certainly not all of them because I'm covering a number of them today. So there is much for me to cover in a short space of time and I'm actually going to move quite quickly in lots of ways through what is very heavy content. And what I've incorporated here is a number of interrelated anecdotes, quotes and thoughts. And my belief and my conviction is that as I do so, the Holy Spirit will actually latch on to things for you personally. And so what I want to begin with today is two very, very big statements that could actually be entire preach series in themselves. But two truths about suffering. And again, forgive me for doing this quite quickly, but I need to lay these on the table before I get to the content that I believe is specifically for today. So two truths about suffering. The first one is, is suffering is inevitable. The Christian life doesn't exempt us from suffering. In fact, we are actually told to expect a level of it. In the words of James, with that fateful when we see in James 1, 2 to 3, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when, 
when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And I'm sure many of you have heard preached before, it doesn't say an if then, it says a when. That by its very definition denotes that suffering is inevitable. Trials and challenges are inevitable. Romans 5, 3 to 5 in the words of Paul. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We glory in our sufferings, Paul is saying, not the possibility of them, Not if you do something wrong, this is what happens. But we glory in our inevitable suffering. So it's important for us to grapple and wrestle with this very notion that being a disciple or a Christ follower, suffering is not outside or separate to the journey. It is the journey. It is the journey. Both Craig Rochelle and Timothy Keller who have quite a lot of material on this, actually assert that the whole idea of suffering is that as Christ followers, we are actually in a suffering cycle. We are either in a season of going into suffering, we are amid suffering, or we are coming out of it. And that is the cyclic nature of being a Christ follower. We are heading into suffering, we are in suffering, we are coming out of it, invariably to go back to, about to go into it again, in it or out of it. There's actually an inevitability and a cyclic nature to the suffering that we experience. First major truth that is like trying to eat a large animal. That's meaty, that's big, that's significant. Second truth is that suffering is relative. A neat bow-tying version of suffering that we find in the dictionary is that suffering is pain, distress or hardship. Now the problem with this definition is that it doesn't actually cover the whole gamut of suffering because suffering carries its own personal story. What may be unbearable for you may not be a big deal to the person sitting next to you. What may be the biggest pain and hardship of your neighbour may be the tiniest, small, incidental detail to you personally. What may feel like the most significant situation to your 12-year-old may be lamb's fry to you as a mum. Suffering is relative. And we've got to be careful that we don't fall into a comparison trap of my hardship is bigger than yours. My pain is bigger than yours. My suffering is bigger than yours because all our capacities are different, because all our suffering thresholds are different. And so one definition of suffering that I quite like that doesn't just encapsulate it in this pain concept is by Elizabeth Elliot. She says and defines it as, suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Suffering is having what you don't want 
or wanting what you don't have. So on the surface, that can appear to be a far too simplistic definition. But if you think about it, you can be sitting next to someone who is suffering because they don't want the pain they have. Don't want the betrayal they have. You may be experiencing suffering because you don't want the tension you have, the complex marriage you have, the flailing business you have, the sick child you have, the unexpected diagnosis you have, the tragedy you have, the loneliness you have, the grief you have. All of those things can be things you don't want and therefore you are in a position of suffering. Likewise, you may be sitting there suffering because you want something you don't have. Desiring, longing, lamenting for something you don't have. You may not have health. You may not have peace in your home or your mind. You may not have a partner or a baby or financial release or sleep. All these things may be things that you so passionately desire, but you don't have. And therefore, you too can be in a position of suffering. And so what I like about this definition is it makes it a more level ground. That we aren't here in the business of comparing hardships or comparing pain. But we're here leaning into each other in a community of grace. So it is from these two launching pads that I now move further into our content. The launching truths of that suffering is inevitable and suffering is relative. So in a gathering of this size, I'm well aware that I have people in all seasons of that suffering. Back to the Craig Rochelle concept, all seasons of suffering, some preceding suffering, some right in the midst of it, some coming out of a season of it. And again, back to that definition of wanting what you don't have or having what you don't want. I'm acutely aware that for many of you here, you are actually in incredibly painful and heartbreaking current context. And I don't claim to be an expert on suffering. Frankly, who wants that title? But like all of us here, I have had my fair share of valleys, some of them very dark indeed. But I knew in my preparation for today that I needed to immerse myself fully in the Word of God and lean into the voice of the Holy Spirit in order to get revelation. But I also knew that I needed the stories of others. So actually over the past couple of weeks, I've met with and interviewed a number of people who have walked through some very dark times, times of very significant suffering, suffering of the most significant kind. And their stories and their comments have helped me prepare for this today And at times as I speak, you will hear some of their thoughts and their responses. I'm incredibly grateful and humbled by their willingness to be involved in my preparation. Right. 
So where I land today and where I am going to spend the majority of the next little while is in what we have called the suffering space. So what is this space? What is there? How do we get there? What does it feel like there? So over to Wilhelmina Whiteboard, but she's black. Betty Blackboard. So let me unpack a little bit diagrammatically, and there's a sort of a version of that on the app, but if you're a note taker, this also may prove useful, about some of that suffering space. The first part of a suffering journey can be defined as shock. When we are first confronted with painful news or a situation or a season that we find ourselves in that we weren't unexpected, that painful, distressing hardship, we enter into a state of shock. That is, we are disrupted and disturbed. The key thing to recognise about shock is that it is emotionally disorientating. Shock is not the time to make significant or profound decisions. We are not the best versions of ourselves in shock. And so when we are confronted with something significant and distressing, we first enter in time of shock. What happens not long after shock, and shock is often quite a, a small process, we enter into two phases. And it's here where we're going to spend a lot of our time. We enter into sorrow and we enter into struggle. Sorrow is a deep sadness and distress. Struggle is defined as a grappling, a wrestling, a disturbance. And so after the shock has initially passed, this is where we land, in this space of sorrow and struggle, which today I'm calling collectively the suffering space. And as we work through, as we process through this suffering space, and time here is God's time, this is God's time. This is God's perspective. I can't tell you how long the suffering space is going to be for what's going to happen in it, but I know we enter into it. What happens as we journey through the suffering space is that invariably we have two simplistic outcomes. We either get stuck. Stuck. Stuck in the suffering, stuck in the sorrow, stuck in the struggle, stuck in the suffering. And we bunker down, we put our head in the sand, we isolate and remove ourselves, and we start to be our only way of giving advice is through our own thinking, and we get stuck. Or... What's God's plan is, always through this inevitable suffering space, is that we will land up in a place of surrender. 
This is his outcome. This is his desire that we will come through the suffering space and that we will surrender, further surrender to the fact that he is God, further to surrender to the fact that we are not God, further surrender our lives, our values, our wants, our needs, surrender to the fact that God holds us in, in his hands, surrender again to Jesus' lordship. This is the desired outcome. And then through the process of surrender, because we now know this is a cycle, back we go again. Because until we are fully in heaven, until we are fully alive, we need to keep the process of surrender alive. We continually, unrelentingly need more of him and less of ourselves. We continually need to be on that potter's wheel, surrendering our life, our thinking, our heart, our attitudes, our values, our gifts and talents again and again and again. The thing is, is this process only works as we walk through the suffering space. We can't jump from here to here because if we haven't forged our muscles of surrender, if we haven't sat on the dust, if we haven't been covered in head to toe in grit and grime, if we haven't had the question answered why, then we haven't had the opportunity to fully surrender to the fact that God, I don't get this and I don't like this, but still you are God. Still you are God. And that is why he takes us through this process. He doesn't want us stuck, friends. He doesn't want that to be the outcome. He doesn't want us up here flailing, stop still in the same position that we were three years ago or 12 years ago or 27 years ago. He doesn't want us struggling with the same identity or the same issues. He doesn't want us feeling as inadequate or unloved. He doesn't want us stuck. His desire is always advocating us, stretching us, growing us, transforming us into being who he has called us to be. But that requires surrender. That requires surrender. And that is why, friends, the suffering space is required. It's why it's inevitable. We can avoid it, but the reality is, is then we're just going to stay the same. We're going to be the same person next year as we are right now. We're going to look back on our life and not really have shifted if we don't embrace the poignancy and the hardship of the suffering space. Let's read the words from David in Psalm 22. A man who suffered. I love the Psalms. I got stuck in the Psalms for years. I reckon there was probably 12 months where all I read was the Psalms because I couldn't quite get my head around faith or joy or love, but I could get it around hardship and lament and emotion and poignancy. And and that is so often what David does for us in the Psalms in this melancholic, dramatic way. He is here regularly 
for us in the suffering space. And it is in our Bible. It is in our Bible to say God is saying to us, hey, here you go. Look, yeah, see, been there, happened. It's okay. Psalm 22. God, my God, why would you abandon me now? Why do you remain distant, refusing to answer my tearful cries in the day and my desperate cries for your help in the night? I can't stop sobbing. Where are you, my God? See, we often think David speaks in kind of like a lyre, harp, flitty voice. He wasn't saying that kindly. He's cross, man. He's emotional. He's dramatic. He's melancholic. He's there in the struggle and the sorrow of the suffering space. Yet I know you are most holy. It's indisputable. You are God enthroned, surrounded with songs, living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. Our father's faith was in you. Through the generations, they trusted and believed in you, and you came through. Every time they cried out to you in their despair, you were faithful to deliver them. You didn't disappoint them. Here we go again. But look at me now. I'm like a woeful worm, crushed. And I'm bleeding crimson. (laughs) So poetic. It's not just bleeding. I'm bleeding red, deep blood, man. I don't even look like a man anymore. I've been abused, despised and scorned by everyone, mocked by their jeers, despised with their sneers. As all the people poke fun at me, spitting their insults, saying, is this the one time who, is this the one who trusted in God? Is this the one who claims God is pleased with him? Now let's just see if your God will come to your rescue. We'll just see how much he delights in you. Lord, you delivered me safely from my mother's womb. Talk about the melancholic headspace, right? You are the one who cared for me ever since I was a baby. Since the day I was born, I've been placed in your custody. You've cradled me throughout my days. I've trusted in you and you've always been my God. Our Bible is full of suffering space. Stories that we can read. Men and women of God who sat at times, flailed at times, paused at times in the sorrow and the struggle of the suffering space. So I'm just going to unpack now a few truths here in this middle bit. What this can actually feel like and look like. What are some of the emotions attached to it? Some of the concepts attached to it. I'm going to run through these in quite quick succession, but I, as I do so, I feel like for some of you that this will actually validate where you are today, actually empower you because you'll go, oh, oh, that's, that's what it's about. That's what it means. So suffering, and these again are on the map, app and they're also coming up on the screens. Some truths in the suffering space is that there is a weight, an E-I-G-H-T, and an A-I-T. There is a weight and a weight here. Suffering feels heavy, feels uncomfortable. And it added to that, suffering in this space has a time attached to it, often a time that we wish we knew more about 
How long am I here for, God? When is the outcome coming? When will this change? And so as we sit in the truth of this suffering space, it can feel heavy and it can feel like there's no end in sight. That's the reality of the struggle and sorrow of the suffering space. Here's what a couple of my interviewees said when I asked them about that. The preferred outcomes never came quick enough, one said. Another, the concept of times of waiting, enduring, longing is definitely a part of the process. In fact, the longing to be through it, to have the pain pass and to have a positive outcome adds to the suffering. Another, sometimes I waited a long time feeling that God was behind a soundproof banner and couldn't hear me crying to him. Another, right now I'm very much in the thick of a time of suffering. I'm accepting and learning that this has been going on for three years and I don't see a quick ending. Suffering space, the wait and the wait. Another truth about it is that there is a wrestle and a paradox that happens in this space. There is much that we won't understand. There is much in this space that actually feels contrary. That is a paradox. It feels like two things colliding at the same time. We regularly want to ask God why we're here. Why me? Why not them? And it's okay. God is okay with that. He is okay with your wrestling. He is okay with your doubting. John Dixon says the true God is one you may surely doubt. He is big enough never to be overwhelmed by your anger or surprised by your questions. Wrestle it out, friends. We don't have to faith it. We don't just have to keep pushing through, but if you are in this paradox tension of why, why me, how long, I don't get this, it's okay to sit there. At one level, it makes sense to me, one of my interviewees says, sorry, at one level, it makes no sense to me. It will remain a mystery until eternity, and even then, complete knowledge won't make up for the inequity of it all. Lean in to the wrestle, agonise over it, grapple with it, embrace the paradox. He will often won't answer the question of why, but he will make you run further to the who. Yes. Yes. He just wants to be more of him alive in your life. Wants him, he wants you to love him more. You see, because the paradox of this struggle space, of this suffering space, is we can feel weak and strong at the same time. We can feel overwhelmed yet held by grace at the same time. We can feel like we are growing yet paused at the same time. We can feel like God is so close yet silent at the same time. It's contrary because it's outside our intellectual understanding. This is a supernatural process, so we can't give intellectual, psychological language always to it. We can't define it in a nice little neat bow. There is paradox there. There is tension there. There is 
misunderstanding there. There is mystery in this space. Another truth here in the suffering space is that it's a valley. Get this. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines a valley as an elongated depression of the Earth's surface, usually between two mountains. Crikey. Metaphor much? That's describing an actual valley. An elongated depression on the Earth's surface between two mountains. Suffering, the suffering space, often feels like a valley. Shadowed, lonely, isolated. And if we turn back again to Psalms, this time let's have a look in Psalm 23, the famous Psalm that follows Psalm 22. 23 verse 4. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. Valley, an elongated depression between two hills the suffering space. A fourth truth is that the suffering space often holds a sound of wailing and lament. Westerners aren't good at this. We like to do our wailing and lamenting behind closed doors or in sanitised versions of our emotions. But do you know what? Sobbing and tears and lamenting is okay here is okay here. And if we were to spend some time in Job, which I would have loved to have done, we will see many versions of this lament that takes place in the book of Job. And what I love about Job is it's almost like this kind of Shakespearean tragedy of dramatic sorrow. And if you actually read it like a play, it's, it's quite abrupt and quite eloquent and quite the way scenes move and shift. But again, it's part of our Bible to validate the suffering space. It's this epic dialogue, this epic grapple, it's this epic lament that occurs between God and Job and Satan. And Job, after after he loses everything, for no real apparent reason or rhyme, he loses everything. We see him in Job 1-2, dramatically, emotionally responding Then Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. And it's like this moment of significant tragedy. But he's outward in his emotion. Shaving his head, tearing his robe. There's this wail that goes forth from him. This dramatic emotion. Timothy Keller describes this moment in Job as that of emotional realism. It makes the realities of the emotion of suffering front and centre. And then the whole book of Job goes on to explain and endorse and describe that Christianity is not about being stoic. It's not about holding our emotions in. It's not about not feeling, but we can be lamenting and groaning and messy here in the suffering space. And it's okay Lament is helpful, one of my interviewees said. Wending your way to trust 
via the pathway of complaining to God. Sometimes we have to verbalise our greatest fears, our greatest complaints, our greatest distresses to God in a safe place in order that we can get it out and then develop that pathway of trust that he so desires. A final aspect of this suffering space, and by no means is this an exhaustive list. Thought five was probably enough for today. (sighs) It was enough when I was preparing, let me tell you. Another truth about the suffering space is that there is a hard pressing. One explanation of suffering likens it to the process of growth of olive trees and the production of olive oil. Olive oil is only harvested when the fruit is truly pressed to the part of breaking point for the oil to be released. Lisa Turkist, who many of you would know, author, speaker, who has actually walked through a number of very significant personal suffering spaces, goes on to say that she finds comfort in the suffering space because she knows when she gets to that point of feeling totally hard-pressed, totally breaking point, totally squashed in at every, every angle, when she gets to that point that she knows that oil is about to flow because oil can only flow when the fruit has been pushed, pushed, pushed to the part of breaking point. I think it's no accident that the word breakthrough has the word break at the beginning of breakthrough. It's not soft through. It's not easy through. It's not gentle through. When we pray and we ask for a breakthrough, what we're actually asking is to be hard-pressed and broken I've seen and known this hard-pressing time and time again. It's like God takes us to the edge of the vortex, the edge of what we think that we can be and and what we can do and what we're able to do and what what we have the capacity to deal with. It's like that hard-pressing, I can't take it anymore, and then the breakthrough comes. There are some truths, friends, about the suffering space, and now I just want to move out of that and end on the up, thank you Jesus, and talk about some of the truths that we actually learn from it. And again, I'm going to churn through these even quicker. These are all preachers within themselves. But there are some truths that we learn. So if we're thinking of this as cyclic, God actually wants us here and he wants us different to where we were back here. He wants us more like him, more in love with him. And so if we've reached that process of surrender, what are some truths that we have often learnt through the suffering space? Well, first off, perspective and purpose. We come to see that there are other things at play, that God is working in a far bigger and broader picture than we will ever have capability to know, that our suffering is often for the purpose of others so that we can put our arms around someone and say, yeah, I've been there as well. Let me walk with you. One of my interviews said, I believe that God allows us to go through as part of the process of the journey of helping others. All the tragedies in my life have blessed someone else. 
through my hardest experiences, I've been able to come alongside someone and say, it's just a season. You will get through this and see the good again. And you'll be blessed as others go through the same thing, be encouraged. Another said, I see the Bible as a life manual on how I'm to react to situations, happy or sad. Suffering, suffering or not is ultimately a testimony of my life that other people see. Perspective and purpose. Another truth we learn from it that God desires that we learn from it as we surrender to him and his lordship is intimacy. We learn the truth of intimacy because Jesus knows our pain. He too is wounded. He has me. And so our vulnerability before our Jesus to say, I need you, and him to say, yeah, I know you do. Come lean into me. That builds intimacy in relationship just like it does any relationship. When you are vulnerable with another person, you go to another depth. When you are vulnerable in conversation, vulnerable in relationship, you go to another depth in relationship and that is Jesus' desire for us. He knows our anguish, our betrayal, our heartache, our pain. He cries and laments too. He was wounded emotionally and physically. He was betrayed. And as we lean into his beauty and depth... We feel understood by him. He is not a distant, uncompassionate, dictating, unreasonable God. But, oh gosh. It's because I can see this. He's the Jesus who sits down in the dirt with you and says, Here, lean on my shoulder. Let the tears. Flow. I've got you. I've got you. And it's that intimacy that he so desires. But if we are too busy doing our own thing or operating in our own strength or feeling like we've got all control, then we don't get the opportunity for that intimacy. For us to say, I don't understand. But Jesus, I know you understand me and I know you love me. John Dixon says, there on the cross, so the Bible insists, God intentionally enters our pain and misery, getting his hand dirty and even bloody. This is God at his most vulnerable and yet at his most glorious. We learn goodness, friends. God's definitions of goodness are quite different to ours. We learn that he works all things together as we see in Romans 8.28. Not in everything on itself is good, but that God weaves it together. He weaves it together in this story of goodness. And as we step back and we have the opportunity, we can see how he is creating a beautiful tapestry of our life. Fourthly, we learn about hope. As tenuous as it may be, we are anchored onto something, onto someone amidst the storm. He is our hope. He is our hope. Even when suffering is occurring, even when we are passing through the valley of struggle and sorrow, even when we have unanswered questions, he is our hope. And not just hope for today, friends, but hope for the future. Hope for the future. That the suffering space may go on and on and on for you. And I wish I could give you a timeline and I wish I could give you a destination point, but the reality is, is I can't. But what I can say 
is in heaven, there will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more distress. Where There will be no more hardship. He will wipe every tear away from his eyes, our eyes. There will be no more sickness. That is the hope, the hope of heaven that we hold on to. That is what makes our faith buoyant and alive. That whilst we may not be able to have hope for there, we can have hope for there. And what a beautiful, profound thing is that we get to hold on to that. And finally, the muscle of truth is forged. You can't trust someone in an instant. Can't trust someone in a moment. We have to walk through the suffering in order for our faith and our trust in God to be forged. Through the pain, through the unknown, through the storm, through the still, through the sorrow. Trust is refined and incubated and tested in the struggling space. Bella Pillar says, when we trust, we put on our soul vision. Whilst we may desire that we get relief of our earthly sorrows, we believe that God is healing and strengthening our most precious possession, our souls. And so hopefully in this time today, in this enormous topic, I've brought about a level of understanding for you on the suffering space. Because God's plans for us and truth for us is learnt here in the dust. It's learnt here in the grime, the mystery. This is not an intellectual concept or simply a biblical principle. This is a complex emotional space. Keller says, if you want to become the sort of person God wants you to be, you've got to be willing to let him put you through the ringer. Good old Keller. (laughs) Let's make that into a meme. If you want to become the sort of person God wants you to be, you've got to be willing to let him put you through the ringer. Let me just read a couple of these quotes of my interviewees to finish. I've never enjoyed suffering but find the ultimate fruit delicious. Hopelessness comes if we believe there is no purpose in what we're going through. That it's all random and meaningless. I really hated people saying to me, Every hap- everything happens for a reason, when I actually believe it is more accurately expressed that God will bring purpose and reason out of everything that happens to me. Another, Christ suffered the full weight of the cross to bridge the gap for me. His endurance through suffering brought beauty and life. My prayer is that my suffering does the same, that God births beauty from my pain. 1 Peter 4.9 So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c3hh.com.au.